You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. I'm going to start with a story about a person that uh, was a good friend of mine, and I think many of you have a very similar story about someone like him. So it was many years ago, I was playing on a softball team, a softball team that traveled from one community to another. It was a fast pitch team, which slow pitch was becoming much more popular, but this was a fast pitch team. And so the pitcher is very important. And this particular pitcher that we had was one of the best I had ever seen. Well, we traveled, as I said, from community to community to play, and when we did, we often had to stay overnight. And now this is not a church league team, so you can kind of picture the people that I was playing with, kind of ruffians sometimes, but they were good guys and good, fun to be with. Uh, They would be out at night doing those things that shouldn't be doing most probably, but there was that one guy who didn't do those things. He was the pitcher. His name was Paul. And he and I became very close friends because when we'd travel, he and I'd stay together. I mean, the rest of the guys had other things in common. Paul and I didn't. Now, you might say, oh, Paul must have been a Christian. No. In fact, Paul was probably an atheist. He never used that term, but that's what I kind of gathered from him. But he was the best person I ever knew. I mean, bar none, when it comes to good living, this guy and I spent hours and hours and hours with him, I never saw him sin. He just was like the best man you ever knew. Well, as we traveled, we'd talk, and uh, he, now and then, I, you know, as I got closer with him and we became very good friends, uh, I, I would say to him something about faith or the scriptures, and he would always very graciously say, I'm not interested. And I say, why? And he would always say the same thing. Because I'm better than any Christian I know. I'm a better person than any Christian I know. Now, a couple things you should know. Number one, he was right. I would agree. I would agree. He was one of the best men I ever knew. Number two, he was judging by saying that. As soon as you say, I'm better than any of those people, You are playing judge, and you are in trouble. Third thing you should know about that statement is, it's not enough. You can be the best person that you know around you, and it will not be enough. And that's what we come to today with Romans chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 1, go down through verse 11, and we're going to unpack a passage of Scripture that I know is difficult. In fact, I'm going to show you some difficulties in it but one that I think is very powerful as we talk about the issue of judging. Take your Bibles and your sermon notes as we are in part two of a seven-part series from Romans chapters one to three. The whole series is about sin. And today it's specifically about judgment and how the judge, the person who names himself judge, will someday be judged. And that's going to be a difficult day. Okay, Bible sermon notes Let's dig in. Before we do, I have one thing to share with you, and I I probably should have shared this more, uh, you know, before this, but I'll bring you up to speed. As most of you know, I was supposed to retire almost two years ago. Two years ago, next month, I was supposed to retire. But uh, COVID hit, and because of COVID, it was just a bad time to make a transition. So 
I pleaded to stay on. No, I, they, they were very gracious to allow me to stay, and I didn't think it was the right time to leave the church. But of course, now that leaves us, where are we? And I was in a group last week. In fact, this is every group I meet with. This is the elephant in the room. How long are you going to be around? And uh, this lady in particular said, may I ask the question? I said, sure. And she goes, here's what terrifies me. I just think someday you're going to preach a sermon and say, well, that's it. See ya. And walk off. And I said, no, no. And she says, well, what's happening? And I thought, you know, I need to share this with the body. So over a year ago, we set together, uh, set out with a group of about seven people that I named the pastor's council. The elders gave me permission to name a team. This team is designed specifically to help find my successor. And so we've been working over a year. We have considered scores of candidates, and we have some good candidates that we hope at some point will be the right one. Uh, hopefully by this fall, we would be able to announce who that person is, and my dream is to bring that person on our staff to work with me for a year, and then I would hand the baton to him, and I would ride into the sunset, okay? <laughs> so that's the plan, that's the dream. We all know that you know God's will is God's will, and so we make plans, and if he changes those, that's up to him, but that's our thinking now. And I share that with you just for, to say this. What can you do about it? For now, pray. Pray, first of all, for the team, for me and the team, as we are selecting this next person, and then we'll take that to the elders and they'll make that final decision. And then secondly, uh, pray for who that person is, whoever he is, that God would prepare his heart to come and take this ministry uh, at some point down the road. So just wanted to bring you up to speed. I told that to this lady this week and she goes, oh, I feel so much better. And I hope you all are feeling a little better about that now as well. Two things we're learning in the series, let me say them quickly. Number one, the common denominator for mankind is sin. Any culture, any time period, from the time of Adam to today, the common denominator is sin. Secondly, we should stop accusing those who sin differently, and we should realize that we're all in the same boat. We have a tendency to look at others and go, well, I'm a sinner, but I never did that. Well... The issue is any sin is sin. And sure, they all have different ramifications, but sin is sin, and we're all in the same boat. Now, I'm gonna take you back, and this is the last time I'm gonna review chapter one with you, but I wanna make sure we're all together. In chapter one, we came to this very important passage in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. So the wrath of God, because man has rejected him, is being shown to us. What kind of wrath? Last week we read this phrase three times. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. That kind of wrath, and I showed you what I can find in the Bible is seven different kinds of wrath. That I would call his abandonment wrath. And that's the wrath where, kind of like the prodigal son, and it doesn't even seem like wrath, does it? The prodigal son comes to his dad and says, give me what is mine, I'm, I'm out of here. And the dad, he just graciously handed over the inheritance. And the young man went away, and of course, he regretted his decision and came back. 
That's what God is hoping men will do today. Come back. Now, because man rejected God, they replaced him with images. And we do that today. I've talked to you weeks ago about sports teams and even models of cars and so forth. What we do is we replace God with images made to look like human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles, and for the most part, in that order. Mankind has always done that because it's kind of in our heart. We need to worship something, so that's what we find. Thirdly, as we learned last week, sin is absolutely repulsive. Can you imagine if we took a microphone right now and passed it around the room and said, would you just share with us your worst sins? It wouldn't be very far along till we'd say, this is disgusting. It is disgusting. Sin is disgusting, and we are all disgusting. That's the point. So Paul breaks it down into three groups. Last week, we learned about the pagans, those people who have no interest in God whatsoever, and they are living a reckless life. In fact, I love this verse from uh, the book of Romans, verse th- chapter 1, verse 31. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's how you define this group of people. By the way, that wasn't Paul. Paul wasn't that way. He rejected God, but he, he wasn't this. So then Paul says, oh, there's also moral people. And by the way, I think there's a lot of Christian, I'm going to put that in quotes, Christians who fall into the same category, just so you know. And these moral people, they just live a good life. And they think that's going to be good enough. Uh, let me give you a little illustration. I put this up here so I would remember to say it. There's an old joke about two hunters who are out hunting bear. And the older hunter and the younger hunter and the older guy goes, do you realize that the bear can outrun a human being? And so if we see one, we won't be able to outrun him. And the younger man looks at his older friend and says, all I have to do is outrun you, Right? <laughs> All all I have to do is make sure I run you and I'm okay. Now, take that into heaven. I think that's what people do in their heads. They think, well, when I stand before God, as long as I'm standing beside you or you or you, (laughs) I'm going to look pretty good. Who do people pick? They often say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler or someone like that, right? We always pick an awful person. As long as I'm there, let me give you some bad news. You're going to be standing beside Christ. And I don't care how good you've been, how moral you've been. Paul, I don't care what a good man you are. And beside Christ, you're going to look bad. Thirdly, and we'll do this the next couple of weeks, there are the Jewish people, and I'm not just picking on them by any means. There's the Christian people. Anybody who subscribes to a religious philosophy, what about them? Are they good people? And then in case you don't think you fit in any of these categories, the Apostle Paul says, let me just tell you, everybody, the entire human race is guilty. Now today, as I said, we're looking at that letter B group, the moral people. I think you're turning your page. So. (laughs) So before I read the text to you, I want to show you something that I think is very important because... This is one verse that if you took out of Scripture, it could be very, very misleading, even dangerous. 
There's this verse here we're going to read that says, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. It just sounds like if you're a good person, you're going to make it in heaven. I'm surprised more people don't use that verse. In fact, I'm, maybe they do and I just haven't heard it. But this sounds like you can be saved by works, by doing good. The focus of this passage is not on salvation by works. So you want to make sure you understand the context. It's about judgment by works. Let me show you what we should know about our judgment. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and, the, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. So we're going to be judged. Then you come to this verse, and I think it's very important for me to show you these two verses together. Jesus said, Verily, tr very truly I tell you, well, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And some of us read that and go, we won't be judged. Then you turn to Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians, and by the way, many other places, and you read, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And you might go, oh, well, the Bible is being contradictory. We won't be judged, we will be judged. Which is it? Both. There are two judgments after your death. The one is immediate. Just read the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? As soon as each of them died, they went to their permanent eternal home immediately. The rich man went south. Lazarus was taken by the angels and taken north and taken into heaven, right? And so immediately you're judged. The moment you die, you're judged as to whether you know Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about. You are crossed over from death to life. If you're a Christian, that judgment is instant and you're in heaven. However, there's another judgment coming. And that's what Paul's talking about. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done on the body, whether good or bad. So we are all coming to a time when there'll be a judgment by works. Many people would refer to that as the final great white throne judgment. Now, we know that we're not saved by works, but by grace, and I wanted to make sure I said that. In fact, Paul will end the section we're studying right now with those words. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You cannot be saved by works. For it is grace you've been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So you can't be saved by your works. Christianity, let me remind you, is a relationship, not a religion, that's based on the work of one person, Jesus Christ, and not the works of anybody who follow him. However, much of the world and every religion that I'm aware of, I may not know of one, and so if I'm missing something, I want you to tell me after service. But as far as I know, every religion in the world is based on works. And so you do your good works, and you hope you've done enough of them that you're going to reach heaven. 
Most people that I've talked to in this category seem to think that if I've done more good than bad and you put it on the scales, I'll probably make it to heaven. And that's, that's, that's works righteousness. It won't help you. On the other hand, Christians, we do good works because of our salvation. Because we know what Christ has done for us, we want to live for him. We die to ourselves and we live for Christ. Jesus himself said it. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works, good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. So good works can't save you, but good works after you're a believer is of great value. And that's what Paul is talking about. So now let me read you the text. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Now, I'm going to say this again. I've said it many times. But I read a paragraph from Paul like that, and for me it goes, because I think, wow, that sounds like good stuff, but I don't get it. So that's why we unpack it, just piece by piece. And I think this will make a lot of sense, so follow along. The key word of this whole passage is you. Paul is talking to you, you who think that you're a good moral person, you who think that you're a Christian, but really you're not living for Christ, you're just trying to do good things, you who think you're better than other people, and so you judge others. Paul is talking to you. Now let me show you the word you in this text I just read to you. You ready? Wow, right? This is about you. If you are judging, this is all about you. Now, actually, the second key word, and I've told you many times, if you want to understand a passage of Scripture, find out what the two or three key words are and put them together, and you got the whole, you got the sentence. And that's what this boils down to. The second word is judge or judgment. And it's talking about you who judge other people, you do the same things. You commit the same thing, sins, and yet you judge others. Here's the passage again. Here's the word judge or judgment. And you can see in a few verses, that's the key thought. You are judging, says Paul. Stop it. That's, that's the key thought. Even if you judge another person and you feel superior, your own judgment is awaiting you in heaven. So about the time you think, well, I feel pretty good. When I look at that guy, <laughs> I feel pretty good. I'm, I'm living a pretty good life. Well, understand your judgment is awaiting you in heaven. Do you, not, do you think you will escape God's judgment? You don't have a chance. Lastly, if I would close this section with, by saying, who would you like to judge you? Okay, you're 100 years old. Live to be 100. Good life. You're about to die, and you get to choose. One of the rare people who gets to choose who's going to be their judge. Who do you want to judge you? You tell me, you think about it right now. Who, who do you want to judge you? Your spouse, if they're still living. Your children. A good friend. Who would you want as your judge? God? Most people would say, well, 
Let's say not God. But I want you to know what Paul says in this passage is, yes, God is the right answer. Let me show you. Paul explains here that men judge harshly. They do the same things you're doing, and that, yet they judge harshly, while God shows kindness. In fact, it says it twice, doesn't it? The riches of his kindness, and even when talking about judging, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So who do you want for your judge? A kind judge. Man, who is a mere human, judges another while doing the same things, while a righteous God, who never has sinned, offers you peace. Now, this word peace here is a Greek word that would indicate a, um, a truce. So you're in the midst of a war or a battle, and someone calls a truce. Now, you might say, well, I'm not at war with God. If you're not a believer, he's at war with you. Do you understand that? That's, that's biblical language. God is at war with those who do not choose to follow his son. And so, if you say, but, I, but I'm thinking about it, God says, okay, let's call a truce. Who wouldn't want a judge who would say, I'll give you a little extra time without fighting so you can make, make that decision. Thirdly, man judges very quickly. Boy, we do, don't we? We do it at a four-way stop. We do it when we go out to eat and we see people at another table doing something. We, we, we already know the whole story, even though we've never met the people in our minds because we're so quick to judge. But God, oh, he's patient. Now I ask you again, who would you choose as a judge? And I think you'd be foolish to choose anyone but God. And that's what Paul is telling you in this passage. Now, the second part of the passage, I think this is amazing writing. Follow along as I read. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. That's in quotes. It comes from the book of the Psalms. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now, this passage begins by telling us that for those who choose to judge others, and not repent of their own sin, God's wrath is coming. If you do not follow Christ and you think, I live a good enough life, my good morality is gonna get me into heaven. And you're still judging other people, which by the way, if you're a good moral person, almost guarantee that you're judging others. So what, what you need to know is God's wrath is coming for you. This is not the same kind of wrath we've talked about earlier. I'm going to show you in a moment. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Now, we've talked about those seven kinds of wrath. And we said chapter one is about this kind, abandonment wrath. But now we're talking about his eternal wrath. At the final judgment, it's not going to go well for you if you're judging others. 
God's judgment will be right. That word righteous, we use a lot in the Greek, uh, in the English translations. We don't use it as much in our culture anymore, at least not in the same way. The word right mean, righteous just simply means right. It will be without error. When God judges, there'll be nobody who is missed. Nobody who sneaks in under the fence of heaven. Nobody who ends up in hell and shouldn't be there. God's judgment will be absolutely perfect. Paul contrasts two ways of living. And I think this is genius. Again, the Holy Spirit directed Paul as he wrote, but I just love this this style of writing. I want you to see something. Maybe you caught it as I read it to you, or maybe you did your reading this week, you saw this. To those, but for those. Now, you all know me well enough that when you see something like that that compares or contrasts something, you always have to build a chart, right? And when I see this in a chart, I'm like, oh, I get it. So let's look at the top chart. This guy here in verse seven is a follower of Christ. How do I know? Well, because he's gonna end up in heaven, and that's the only way there, not by works. So what does he seek? Well, he seeks God's glory. Who by persistence in doing good seek glory. Now, if you read it just that verse alone, you might think it's their own glory. But if you read the next verse, you'll realize that this guy is seeking God's glory. If you live so that God can be glorified in your life, Boy, you're on the right track. And he seeks honor. Now, this is not his own honor. This is someday when you stand before the Lord, you you just want to hear those words. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Yes, that's the honor those of us who are Christians are looking for. And then thirdly, you are heaven-focused. That's the word immortality. You're heaven-focused. You're living this life for the next That doesn't mean you don't enjoy this life. There are some Christian people who, in my opinion, are so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good, okay? I'm not talking about those super spiritual people. I'm talking about just a normal person who says, I live enjoying this life, but I'm also always thinking about honoring God and living with him eternally. I'm heaven-focused. And that will end with eternal life. And I just want to make sure you understand this. I've said it to you multiple times. Eternal life is not a quantity. Most times in scripture. We see the word eternity and we think of the forever thing. Eternal life as Christ used it, as Paul used it, is oftentimes a quality. That you will be with the Lord forever. That's the key thought. Now what about the moral person? Well that's verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking, they go after their own glory. For those who seek their own honor. What's that mean? Well, they just reject truth. By the way, this, that's our culture right now. Last week, we dealt with some pretty difficult issues that in our culture, boy, we're taught differently than the scriptures. And you see people today say, well, my truth is, if there is an ultimate truth, and I believe there is, then your truth doesn't matter. You can hold to it, 
You can believe in it. But if there is one truth, and it is God's truth, and that's what we're talking about here, and you reject it, you are not serving God or seeking God. You're seeking your own honor. And then lastly, you are evil-focused. If you are this moral person, Paul says here, reject the truth and follow evil. Today, we often use that phrase, hell-bent. That guy is hell-bent on doing this certain thing. It means he, he won't stop. That's what this means. This person just keeps on headed toward evil. And what will, what will they end up with? Well, wrath and anger. That's, that's judgment day. By the way, I look at this, and this makes me so sad, but I think Paul, my friend Paul, the pitcher for our softball team. You see, he was seeking his own glory. And you say, but he was a good person. He was, but he wasn't seeking God's glory, so that only leaves one option. And, and he was living for his own honor and he was living evil focused. And you say, but he, but he was a good man. He was. But if you're not living heaven focused, then the only option is evil focused. There are only two options here. And that will end in wrath and anger. God's final judgment is for everyone. Every one of us here today. Everyone in various rooms. Everyone watching online. All of us will stand before God, and when we do, he won't play favorites. Have you ever been in a situation where you got in trouble, but your dad was maybe one of the teachers or principals or maybe the counselor at camp or whatever, and your dad got you out of trouble? It's not going to happen here. You're not going to have somebody play favorites because God says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to invite our worship team up, but I want to close with three thoughts before we finish the message. Three quick thoughts. What is God's strategy here? It's pretty clear. Number one, his word will be the standard. God's judgment is based on truth. Not your truth or my truth, his truth. And his truth is the only truth that matters. So when we stand before him, his judgment will be based on his word. Secondly, your walk or your works will be examined. He will repay each person according to what they've done. And you say, but I'm a Christian. Right. But you'll get great rewards in heaven because of what you've done. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that he gives a beautiful illustration. I've always liked it. He says, let's say your good works are like these six things. Gold, silver, precious metals or gems, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So that's the kind of good works you've done throughout your life. And when you get to heaven, God's going to put them on a big pile and set a match to them. If most of your works have been wood, hay, and straw, not going to be much left. But if most of your works have been to honor him with the right motive, oh, you're still going to have a big pile of good works then. And you'll, then, then you'll still be rewarded based on those. So our walk, our works will be examined. And then lastly, his justice will prevail. 
The righteous judgment will be revealed. It will be righteous. It will be correct. He won't make any mistakes. So don't think you might sneak under the fence. It's not going to happen. Bottom line, I would give you two thoughts. If you're a good moral person, but only a good moral person, not following Christ, I want you to know it's not enough. And you're in grave danger for eternity. Number two, if you're a believer and you're judging others, that's kind of your style. Constantly judging other people. Paul says, that's, that's dangerous too. That, that's wrong. And you need to start living understanding we all are sinners and we're all working uh, as, as Christians to do good work so that others may come to know him too.